For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. We continue to try to bring interesting and unique conversations from experts in the world of sports. Today's guest. You can absolutely consider him an expert. One of the best players ever to come out of the University of Oregon, a Wooden Award All-American, spent a number of years in the NBA, was starting to have the trajectory of one of the up-and-coming college coaches before he decided to get into the business world where he's found some success. Uh, None other than one of the Lukes from the early 2000s at the University of Oregon, Luke Jackson. Luke, how is life in Cresswell, Oregon for you, bud? Well, thanks for having me on, Dan. I, I appreciate it. I've got three kiddos, and I'm just enjoying being a dad. We live out in the country on a few hundred acres, and so even though we're going through quarantine, life is not that much different for us right now. So, Well, a few hundred acres, that's uh, that's quite a difference in change when you look at some of the uh, teams that you played for, Toronto, Miami, and the NBA. Those are, you know, metropolitan cities, but you're a country boy at heart. What fills up your days then if you've got that many acres? Uh, we spend a lot of time outside. Uh, we've got about a mile of a creek, and so we've got a swimming hole. It's the summertime. It's pretty hot out there, so... I I enjoy having a property where my kids' friends can come over and we go swimming and the kids shoot their BB guns and ride on four wheelers and just enjoy, you know, being outside and being a kid. That sounds uh, like a tremendous setting for you and your family to kind of spend a lot of time at. You might be the second most famous 
person from your high school alma mater. Um, you went to Cresswell High School just south of Eugene. When you would look at your resume, and I know we're friends, so I can kind of give you a, a little jab here or there. When you look at your resume, Wooden Ward All-American, 10th pick in the NBA draft in 2004, had some uh, very nice success in the NBA. You would think that's the most famous alum. But Mark Few, the head coach at Gonzaga, who we both know well, is probably the most famous alum. Uh, what is it like uh, knowing that you're number two in those shoes? You know what? I'm okay with that because Mark Few is such a tremendous person and coach. Um, I'm just a little disappointed that he didn't come back to Oregon when we offered him the job. But I think, you know, the fact that we were able to get Dana Altman, who is one of the best offensive minds in college basketball, pretty happy with that. But Mark Few coming from Cresswell High School and working his way up at Gonzaga and then having the success that he's had is just incredible. And, you know, I, I, I've thought about the what ifs, if I would have been able to play with, you know, yourself and guys like Blake Stepp and Corey Violet, guys that I, I was friends with before and, and to this day. But if anyone uh, deserves the credit and to be number one <laughs> in, in your book, I'll, I'll give it to Mark Few because he's just, he's one of a kind. He's, he's an original and he, he really is the best. Uh, that's, that's awesome to, to hear your side of it and the fact that you're so humble. Um, I do like the fact that, that you really tied in the University of Oregon and their current head coach, Dan Altman. I think he might be still to this day one of the most underrated coaches in all of college basketball. Um, and we'll touch on your coaching path and maybe some things that you, you picked up from different guys, such as a Dana Altman or a Mark Pugh. But I want to go back and talk about your time at the University of Oregon because uh, those early 2000 Oregon Duck teams kind of flew under the radar but then you guys made a, an Elite Eight run in 2002. What are some of the biggest memories that you take from those days? Well, first of all, I remember watching you and, and your career at Gonzaga and the way you guys were doing things. And I was so close to being a Zag and used to come up and do the basketball camps up, up in Spokane and – had a tremendous amount of respect for how good you guys were. And when I came into Oregon, we were just kind of on the cusp. You guys have made a couple of really good runs. And I think we went 15 and 15 my freshman year. We had a lot of talent. And my best memories were the time spent in the off season with the guys just getting better. Uh, Luke Rittenauer, who ended up playing 12 years in the NBA, Fred Jones. I mean, we had a really good team, but we weren't quite there. And looking back at it now, the late nights in the gym, you know, waking up early, getting those workouts in, playing two on two until, you know, 2.30 in the morning and just listening to the radio and having a good time with the guys. Looking back, those are my, my best memories because we played because we loved the game not because we were just good at it. We, we really try to take our talent 
and maximize it. I can definitely envision and picture you and Luke Ridenour and Freddie Jones late into the night playing pickup and going through workouts uh, back in those days because I know both those guys really well and, and I have tremendous respect for their careers. But when you look at the three of those guys, you might have been the most versatile of all of them. And you kind of played really well off of Luke. Uh, you could also make plays with the ball in your hands as well. I got a quick question for you, though, on your versatility. There are three players in the Pac-12 history that have had multiple triple doubles on the men's side. Can you name the other two? Because you're one of the three. I'm going to say Lauren Woods from Arizona and Jason Kidd. Did you? <laughs> so you you've done the research as have I. Then I take it, huh? Well, I I've just had uh, I've had a few people bring it up in interviews over the years, and I don't know if you remember Lauren Woods, but he had like a seven six wingspan, and he got his where Jason Kidd and I had it with assists. I think his were blocks and rebounds, and that year Arizona had like five uh all americans and made it all the way to the championship game and lost to duke i don't know if here's a little trivia for you do you know <laughs> the other game that they lost that season was uh to oregon was it at the pit yeah I even though we, we i think we went i think we went 14 and 14 or 15 and 15 but matt court was such a tough place to play it was so much fun you know, it's kind of this court that is the stands were just built right on top of the floor. And, you know, looking back with those types of crowds, it, you almost had like an eight or 10 point advantage. Teams weren't really ready coming in for that type of atmosphere. You know, you bring back memories for me because growing up in the Portland, Vancouver area, my school that I wanted to go to before any other any school recruited me was the University of Oregon. And I had a, I went to a couple games as a young kid at Matt Court, and that's where I fell in love with college basketball because just how you mentioned, the stands literally went straight up. I think there were three or maybe four balconies. As nice as the new arena is at the University of Oregon, how unique and how fun was it to play at Matt Court? Well, I can remember several games – where the referee had to stop play because the hoops were shaking from people uh, jumping up and down. And someone would be on the free throw line and opposing, you know, big free throw, opposing team shooting free throw. And if everyone was jumping up and down, the baskets would shake. And I think the reason that they had to build a new arena is – it, it was unsafe. It was one of the oldest arenas in the country and it had timber frames. Everyone was just kind of in there breathing the same air, which, you know, today with the coronavirus, if you, if you played at Matt court, there just, there wasn't enough oxygen to begin with. And, uh, you know, just a very, very special place, a very tough place to play. And, you know, with you growing up, in, in the Portland area and you know so many local guys now with the the position that Oregon has put themselves in and kind of caught up with Gonzaga competing for these Northwest kids is really a big deal I, I'd really love to see Gonzaga in Oregon with uh, a home and away uh, on the schedule every year I think 
with the competition with recruiting, you know, maybe a game in Portland one year and a game in Seattle next year. It's kind of an unspoken rivalry where there isn't a lot of a lot of games played there. What do you think about that? Personally, would love to see it as a college broadcaster. I think it would uh, be one of the most entertaining and, and watched regional rivalries. I know Gonzaga has renewed it with University of Washington, and that's been tremendous. I would love to see it with uh, University of Oregon as well. You know, I, I think Oregon was one of those teams that I mentioned in the early 2000s with you um, that was on the cusp. And then you guys got to the lead eight. Right before that, though, they had some tremendous players that you probably, because you grew up in the area, was were able to watch. Guys like Kenya Wilkins, guys like Terrell Brandon, who obviously went on to a very good NBA career before injuries, Orlando Williams. Uh, what – what was it about Oregon that made you decide, I want to stay home and play here? Well, it, it was in between Gonzaga, Oregon State, and, and Oregon. And I, I would say that my final two were, were probably Gonzaga. I felt really comfortable, Gonzaga and Oregon. I felt really comfortable with Mark Few. I had known his family growing up, his dad had been a pastor in Cresswell for years and in Oregon. And I, I think that outside of the proximity, not very many kids get to stay home and, and play in front of their friends and family. That was really special for me to be able to enjoy it and have, have my boys at the games, you know, but my, my grandfather who I lived with on and off, uh, growing up, who drove me to basketball tournaments, who, you know, paid for me to do AAU, uh, and who, who passed away going into my junior year, he, he was a huge Oregon fan. And I remember when <laughs> he was at a lot of the recruiting visits, and I think Mark Few showed up at our house and my grandfather was decked out head to toe in like Oregon sweatsuit. <laughs> and I just couldn't, I couldn't let him down. And, you know, I'm glad that I did that. Coach Kent was great, but I, I know that I would have fit in with your guys' crew up there in Spokane. I, I love the influence that your grandpa had and the fact that he was, Comfortable enough in his own skin to wear an Oregon uh, sweatsuit uh, during a home meeting with an opposing coaching staff. So you get to Oregon. You've obviously had a tremendous career. You've graduated. You've become a part of the alumni base. Um, one of the greatest sports businessmen of all time, Bill Knight, chairman of Nike. He basically got Nike off the ground. It was his company. Um, he's from Oregon. He is a tremendous supporter of, of, of University of Oregon Athletics. What is his influence and how often is he around Oregon? Do you have a relationship with him? And, and is it from all intents and purposes that I see, it is 100% genuine that he loves Oregon Athletics? Well, one of the things that I have a, a large sense of pride in is when – when I was there in 2002, when we went on that run to the lead eight, Joey Harrington was the quarterback for the football team. And the football team hadn't had a lot of success. 
and neither had the basketball team. And all of a sudden, we, we end up with, um, I think the, the the final rankings for the football team was like number two in the country, and we finished up number six. And it was it, it's still the best combined finish for our school. And we kind of ushered in a new era of Phil Knight spending money and donating money so generously at the school. And it was before, you know, in, in the, the track locker room, you know, you're probably hanging your uniform on a nail. And uh, now these guys are so spoiled with everything that they have. I mean, the, the new track uh, venue is so special. And, uh, you know, new football arena, new basketball arena, billions of dollars donated. And it's just an incredible, incredible feeling to be able to be part of that. And Phil Knight is so generous and so genuine. And he's someone that you can get in touch with as an alum. When I graduated from college and was, was done, uh, he bought every athlete in my high school a pair of new shoes if they were playing sports. Yeah. That's, uh, those are the things that I love to hear about, you know, very billionaires that, you know, they give back in ways that aren't in front of the media and they're not generating, trying to generate attention uh, due to their goodwill. After your time at Oregon, you now get ready for the NBA draft. 2004, you're the 10th pick in the NBA draft. You're selected to Cleveland. From Based on what I know in, in previous conversations we've had, um, you got hurt before your rookie year even started. So walk, us, walk me through the, the frustration of trying to prepare for an NBA career when you're not at your peak. You know, I'm, I'm still dealing with back injuries to this day. I'm going in for another surgery where they have to clean up L1 through L5. And, you know, I was, I was 22. It's my first day of practice in summer league. And I ended up herniating a bunch of discs and I never really came back from it. I, I was better as a freshman in high school than I was when I was playing in the NBA. And it was tough. Um, looking back and now, you know, I'm certainly thankful to have had the opportunity to, to make it to the NBA. Like I, I roomed with Blake Stepp prior to the draft and he hurt his ankle and wasn't able to, to do all the workouts and he never really made it. And he, he was definitely good enough to do it. And, and part of being to making it to that level, you know, you have to be good enough, but you also have to be lucky and avoid injury. It was devastating for me. I, I could barely tie my shoes. And, you know, to this day, um, I, I deal with it every day. And it, 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 was, it was a tough pill to swallow. I, I was, you know, almost dunking from the free throw line. and went from there to just barely being able to tie my shoes. And so outside of actually trying to be a basketball player at the highest level, I was, I was having pain just dealing with regular life. Just sitting in a car for 30 minutes was really hard for me. 
And, you know, I was kind of picturing myself as a, a two inch taller version of Ginobili who could shoot the ball, who could be LeBron's sidekick. And, you know, the NBA is a lot different than college. There's a lot of space for open shots. LeBron demanded a lot of attention. And I never really had one healthy game in the NBA. I, I remember scoring 30 when I was playing in Toronto and just going home and crying. And, and I did that, and I, I literally could not feel my right foot the entire game. I couldn't feel my foot. My, I was just so scared if I had to bend down and get the ball or dive on the floor. It was just so painful. But looking back now, I'm, I'm just thankful that I made it and that I had the opportunity. But it, it just wasn't meant to be. My body just didn't hold up. Yeah, it's one thing I think a lot of outsiders don't understand and realize the rigors that a professional athlete takes, not only to get there, but to stay there. And you went through multiple surgeries. You ended up playing four years, having some really good moments in the, in the NBA. When you look at how the game is played now and how versatile you were as a player, both with the ball in your hands, making decisions for others, making plays for yourself, take away the injuries. Um, how do you feel you would have fit into today's NBA with the free-flowing style and the multi-skilled emphasis on players? I think it would have fit me a lot better. Just the fact that they're looking for guys that can shoot seven, eight threes a game, where that was pretty unheard of in the early 2000s of shooting that many threes. People were still really trying to post up and hammer it in. And there was a lot of pick and roll, which there still is. But the, the spacing of the floor, um, the way the, the officials call the game with hand checking, where you can, you know, it's, it's, it benefits a player that can shoot the ball, that can pass the ball. I think I, I would have had a tremendous amount of success you know, and and it's been hard for me to to look and and see like, you know, having forty two against a guy like Iguodala, uh, knowing that I I could play and not just, uh, but I did make it, and you know that's such a huge success, and and for me now, I don't have any regrets about not having played as much or having the career that I wish I would have had I think a lot of players when they get done kind of search for what's next and never feel like the same amount of joy because it was always about them and for me I, I think transferring over and and being able to be a great dad being a great husband has really been something that's been really fulfilling for me it's uh it's been Awesome to, to see the journey from Luke Jackson, the player, to now Luke Jackson, the coach, because you and I talked about it a little bit while you were in the coaching ranks. And you had tremendous success at Northwest Christian and Eugene. You were a head coach there for four years. Two of those years, uh, you won a league title. I believe three of those years, you went to the NAIA uh, National Championship. You interviewed, and you were kind of a, a dark horse for a couple Division One jobs, both as a head coach and an assistant. But you ended up stepping out of it because you didn't feel coaching necessarily was your path. Share a little bit about your coaching journey quickly 
and what you're doing now? Well, I enjoyed coaching and having had a very unique career, um, kind of being that guy that was always the best player on his team in high school and college to being the last guy on the end of the bench, uh, just holding on, gave me a unique perspective on the game. And having played in the NBA, the D League, overseas, uh, it, it, it transferred over to having a, a decent knowledge of the game. And eventually I became a good coach. I really enjoyed it. I really loved helping guys out, making sure guys graduated that maybe everyone else had given up on and just seeing the success. And I can tell you from a player to a coach, you get the same amount of satisfaction like you were doing it yourself. It, it's really something that is very enjoyable and I, and I miss it. And I think I may get back into it, but I didn't want to spend my children's early years away from them. And if you want to be a good coach, you got to have a family that's willing to sacrifice for you. And my wife was gracious enough to, to put up with that for five years. And she followed me all the way around the world. And I wanted to show her the respect that, you know, my, our family is more important than, uh, than kind of my dreams and success coaching. And so I, I very well may get back into coaching at some point. But for me, the decision was about spending time with the family. And, you know, now I've got a, a, a testing laboratory that we test blood and urine and genetics and hormones. And, and that's fun and that's great. But it doesn't get you the same competitive thrill that, you know, being a part of a locker room does. Yeah, there is nothing like the competitive juices that start flowing when you're, you're working towards a common goal. That's uh, tremendous to hear the, the amount of respect that you have and in, in understanding and knowing that your family has always been supportive. And I, I respect, you know, going into the business world so you're not traveling. You know, I do the broadcasting side of things during the college basketball season. The college coaches, they're constantly on the go and you're not kind of the one that always dictates the schedule. So um, tremendous amount of respect with you with making that decision. A couple last questions before I let you go, and, and everything's been uh, – I really appreciate your time today. Who was the toughest matchup that you ever had to face in the NBA? And let's take LeBron out of the equation because um, obviously you were with LeBron in Cleveland for, for a bit. But when you look back, who was the toughest matchup? Well, I got to guard Kobe at Staples and actually had a halfway decent game against him, even though I was hurt. Um, but Kobe was not like a lot of players. There's, there's certain guys in the NBA that when you face them, you know you can – not only are they going to score on you, but they could embarrass you. Like Kobe, Kobe can end – guys careers they can embarrass them so bad where you know I, I guarded Vince and the Carter in the playoffs and I remember you know they were up quite a bit I got in at the end of the game and it was like hey Vince you know maybe I can score a couple here and he was fine with that Kobe 
wanted to step on your neck. He wanted to kill you. I mean, if, if, if he's tasted a little blood in the water, it, it, you know, he was going in for the kill. And he just had such a different demeanor that, he, and he was, he was good enough, athletic enough. And, you know, I would have to say Kobe, you know, hands down just because of his competitiveness. And an average fan thinks, okay, everyone in the NBA is built the same. They wanted the same amount. No, no. Kobe was just a killer. And people don't realize how good someone like that is and how hard it is, even if you're the best player, defensive player in the world, to stop someone like that, let alone a guy like me who's sitting at the end of the bench just trying not to get embarrassed out there. Yeah, I had uh, a couple occasions where I guarded Kobe, and I don't have the size or the strength that you had, obviously, and it wasn't fair. I mean, Kobe was on another level. I was on a Blazers team that I believe Kobe had 65 against. It was a game at Staples. Uh, it was 50-plus. Maybe it was the 65 game. And it was unbelievable what he did. And he didn't stop the whole game, just attack, attack, attack. Last, last question for sure. And this goes back to your time at, at the University of Oregon. It goes back to your time uh, developing a relationship and a friendship with Phil Knight, this, the, the, the founder of Nike. What would Phil Knight do if you walked into a meeting with him or lunch or breakfast or something and you were wearing something other than Nikes? That's such a good question. The first time I met Phil Knight, I had just signed with Oregon. And Phil usually will come in with his boys and watch practices early in the season, whether it's track, softball, men and women's basketball, especially football. And so I think it was Luke. Ridenauer, myself, and a couple of the other guys that were part of our recruiting class coming in, getting ready for summer school, and he wanted to see a pickup game. So he's sitting there with a few of his guys, and he stands up, and immediately he looks at my feet. And I think I was wearing – uh, I ran cross-country in high school, and I think I had on some of Vias uh that that are running shoes and he looks at me the first thing he said to me is he put his hand on my shoulder and he just said luke i don't ever want to see you in here with those shoes again and <laughs> you know he he was such a huge deal and he he just commanded so much respect and obviously the the brand and the company and and what they stand for is just incredible but I, I didn't even – the, the thought never even crossed my mind until he said that. And when he did, I just kind of wanted to go hide. <laughs> but, you know, obviously when, when players come to Oregon, you're getting the most gear, the most customized stuff, uh, an incredible relationship with, with someone like Phil Knight who genuinely cares – about the school it's it's not about him he he feels like university of oregon gave him a lot just by the opportunity and 
I don't know if you've had a chance to read his last book, but um, it goes into great detail about how much he cares about the school, how much he hates the Oregon State Beavers. And I just really hope that Oregon football or Oregon basketball can can bring home a national championship while while he's still alive because he's I think he's like 82 or 83 but a very very humble quiet fierce competitor that is just a special special alumni and schools get guys that make a billion dollars from time to time you know mo most schools have someone that that's made several hundred million but they don't get in they don't always get involved like Phil Knight and Phil Knight has given billions of dollars sometimes without wanting any credit at all and you know I'm every time I see him I just say thank you because he is so generous and he's impacted the the town of Eugene and the University of Oregon in so many ways and not just the athletic department the the academics too it's just it's really a unique place I can hear the the respect and the admiration that you have in your voice uh for being connected to Phil Knight and the University of Oregon uh Luke I appreciate the time I know uh, with a hundred acres or so and a fishing hole and a creek running through your property, you've got a lot more important things to do than talk to me on the on the on the ISO podcast for SB Live Sports. So I'd really truly appreciate your time, Luke, and, and wish you and your family continued health. So thanks for joining. Thanks, Dan. I listen to the podcast and I'm a fan, and I'm sure we will talk soon, buddy. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.